Well, hey again, everyone. Uh, thanks for being here. And if you're tuning in online or uh, watching over at Montrose, thanks for uh, being together that way. And uh, looking forward to continuing this conversation on peace and anxiety. We started it just a couple weeks ago. And so uh, maybe if this is your first time or you've missed a few of the conversations along the way, uh, I encourage you to hear the, the whole conversation because we're uh, kind of settling into to one place in the Bible. And uh, this is going to be, I think, a really helpful train of thought. And so uh, we've been saying even from the beginning, though, uh, that when you have a conversation on anxiety, uh, there are a lot of different ways that we could talk about that. And um, one of the ways that is probably uh, the most complex uh, that requires more than we can address in this conversation is uh, what we might call like clinical anxiety or having an anxiety disorder. Things that uh, actually there's medical professionals who understand uh, the chemical imbalances that um, oftentimes become so regular, uh, they put us in this fight or flight mode, uh, even though there may be things in our lives that shouldn't be putting us in that fight or flight. And so there's a chemical imbalance, and thankfully there's uh, incredible people who've done research and made advances in medicine to be able to help with that and treat that. And if, um, if you're someone who's benefited from that or is in engaging that process, I want you to know that uh, grace sees that medicine as a gift. And uh, if you're someone who maybe feels like I, I'm afraid to explore that, I don't know where to start, uh, we would want to help you in that. We, we would want to integrate that into our understanding uh, of, of anxiety. But there's another kind of anxiety that all of us experience that you might just call life anxiety, right? It's what we call stress or worry or burnout. It's what happens in the circumstances in life. And um, all of us experience this. And um, I think in our uh, time and, and kind of season of life right now, um, in our, our period of time, there's a, an immense amount of anxiety in our world. And what's incredible about this is that um, God and, and the Bible, they address uh, this issue and they want, they're, they're there to help us. And so I think that things that we've been talking about can be applied to all of that, like God wants to meet us in all those spaces. But I just want you to understand, I know that there's different categories and that sometimes there's more to this conversation that we would kind of have to address in, in another way and, and team up with people who are equipped to do that. And so uh, when we started this conversation, we started talking about how anxiety can be a tool. It can be a way that uh, becomes almost a sign inside of us, almost like a signal that something's off. And we can use that as a tool to direct uh, that anxiety to God. We, we can use it as a means to draw closer to him and to, to interact with him instead of being stuck in it and letting it control us. The second week, this was just last week, we were talking about how oftentimes anxiety comes uh, in our lives when our identities or our value uh, starts to get placed in the wrong thing. And we'll often uh, build uh, where we find our value in life on something that's actually a lie, something that isn't uh, what's most true about us or something that others uh, have spoken into our life or something that we think about ourselves that isn't the, what's most true or even what's manageable in stabilizing who we are. And so what Christ does, what Jesus does, is he uh, exchanges any amount of uh, lack of worth or value or false identity that we have, and he gives us truth. He takes that lie and replaces it with truth, and he gives us what he's earned, not what we can say about ourselves and not just what others say about us, but what he says about us. And that is what's most true and a value and identity that never changes. And so this week, we're gonna continue this conversation 
where we've been in Philippians 3 and 4. And so if you have your Bible, open it up to Philippians 4. Uh, If you have the app, you can find it right on there. And if you don't have um, a physical copy of the Bible, we would love to give you one. Just stop out at our First Impressions uh, desk, and we would love to uh, gift you one before you leave today. But we're going to walk through uh, this passage in Philippians 4 again and continue to unpack what we've been talking about regarding peace and anxiety. So we're going to start here in verse 4. It says, always be full of joy in the Lord. I say it again, rejoice. Let everyone see that you are considerate in all you do. Remember the Lord is coming soon, or the Lord is near. Don't worry about anything. Good luck. Um, Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need, and thank him for all he has done. Then you will experience God's peace which exceeds anything we could understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. So you can see why we've been uh, settling into this, uh, these, these few verses, these few sentences here, is because there's actually um, some incredible promise, like we're almost assured that as we understand this more and we actually do it, we will experience God's peace And that peace will guard our hearts and our minds. There's like this uh, almost assurance behind that, hey, as you begin to understand this and implement this into your life, it will really change you. This peace, this security, this gratitude, this thanksgiving, this uh, gentleness and this joy, all, all these things are real. But as, as I was reading it this week, there was one phrase I felt like I couldn't leave. And it's this phrase that I want to spend pretty much our whole time talking about today because it, um, it's the, the bedrock. It's the foundation for experiencing all that peace and that security and gratitude and that joy. And the phrase uh, that we read over today is the Lord is near. Or actually the way we read it, it said the Lord is coming soon. Um, But this is a word that, uh, maybe you know this, maybe you don't, the Bible is translated into English from ancient Greek. And so uh, that word just means near. And obviously you can be near in two kinds of ways, right? So you can be near, like spatially, like we're all near right now, unless you're online, you're like kind of near. But everyone in the room right now, like we're near. Like you could come up here and give me a high five and I could, you know, call out your name and make you stand up and do a silly dance or something like that. Like we're all here right now. Um, please, I'm not going to make you do that. Um, <laughs> you can also be uh, near in time, right? So like Christmas is coming soon, right? We say it's like four weeks away. So it's near. And um, I, we, they, they translate it in different ways, but really all that it's saying is that the Lord is close. And I think it probably means both because both are true. God is always close to us. And one day, we know that Jesus will be returning soon to make all things new. That's what our hope is founded in. And actually, we get um, this, this picture in the Bible of God's nearness. Um, we see it actually, I wanted to read Psalm 139, um, just as an example of like how we understand that God is always present in our lives. In Psalm 139, it says, I can ne- never escape your spirit. It's talking about God. I can never escape your spirit. I can never get away from your presence. If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I go down to the grave, you are there. If I ride the wings of the morning, 
If I dwell by the farthest oceans, even there your hand will guide me and your strength will support me. I could ask the darkness to hide me and the light around me to become night. But even in darkness, I cannot hide from you. To you, the night shines as bright as day. Darkness and light are the same to you. And there's all sorts of stuff like this that show that God is always with us. He's present, he's near, he's close. And uh, the reason that this stuck out to me so much is not just because that's good, and if we have any hope of finding the peace and the hope and the joy that God is assuring us we can have, we have to understand that the Lord is near. But my biggest issue is that um, even though I know this, right, studied this, we're talking about this, we can understand, okay, God's always with me. It doesn't always feel like he's near. It doesn't always feel like he's near. Do you agree with that? But like there's, <laughs> there's times in life where you're like, I don't feel close to God. I don't know where he's at. And so I think that's what makes this conversation so important and why I think we have to talk about this and we can't move on until we really unpack it because many of us here are listening online. We may uh, believe in God. We may say we're a Christian or we follow Jesus. But are we experiencing God's nearness? This is so important. And, and, and I believe we can experience his nearness because he is near. And so as we unpack this today, I'll give you a little bit of an overview of what we're going to talk about. First, we're going to talk about why God's nearness is difficult to feel and what to do about that. And then um, I want to share a little bit of my own story. But as I do, I want to introduce you to a practice that has helped me the most in, in um, experiencing God's nearness. So we'll talk a little bit about that. And uh, before our time's over, I, I want to say something about um, how we pray in light of God's nearness. Because as we were just reading, it says, don't be anxious about anything, but pray in everything. And so prayer becomes this, this vehicle to peace, God's peace. But I, I want God's nearness to inform that. And I, I want, I'll explain what I mean when we get there. So uh, let's dive into a little bit. Um, what do we do when we, we don't feel near to God? Like, why is it so difficult to know where God is at, to feel close to him? I wrote down that God doesn't feel near if we don't bring ourselves near to God. God doesn't feel near if we don't bring ourselves near to God. It's not enough just to know that God is close. It's not enough just to know that in all of time, in all of history, every person, every place, God is able to be present. It's this it's mind-boggling reality about what we believe about God because the Bible tells us that's what he's like. And it's, it's not enough just to know that because you are so much more than just a brain. <laughs> um, there's all sorts of things that we know that uh, maybe don't actually show up in our life. It doesn't actually change who we are. We haven't actually be formed, been formed into the kind of person we would like to be, even though we may say, I want to be loving, but we're still critical. <laughs> I may want to have peace, but I'm still anxious. And so you're more than just a brain. You, are, you have emotional capacities. You have relational capacities. You like have a physical body. Like you can be tired and hungry, right? Like you can have physical symptoms because you're a human being in a body. And when I talk about 
bringing ourselves near to God, all of your personhood has to be a part of that process more than just walking away today knowing that God is near. You have to actually place yourself emotionally, relationally, physically before God. I want to explain what I mean by that. Um, that, that we have to draw near to God. We have to actually move and, and change uh, to place ourselves before him. Just to, to make sure that you know this isn't just something I came up with. Um, we actually see this in another place in the Bible in James where it says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. It, so we already know that God is always present in our lives. It's in so many places more than just what I, I read at the beginning. And so when we draw near to God, we're making ourselves aware of God's nearness. It's not that we're, we're doing something to make him get close to us. It's that we've finally placed ourselves in the position of being aware and intentional that he is close. And so when I use the word aware, um, I want to unpack what that means a little bit. Because sometimes we, we go through life and something feels off. You ever, you ever like just go through the week, go through the day, and you're like, something feels off, but I'm too busy, I'm like in too much of a hurry. I can't really like figure out what's going on. I don't really know what the source of it is. It's probably like 50 things, but it's all just like kind of underneath the surface. It's all there. It's kind of moving you and guiding you. No one else sees it, but you feel it. And maybe you've felt that before and you, you weren't able to identify what it was. You're dealing with an issue of awareness. Or maybe if, if you follow uh, Jesus, and you uh, understand that God is present in all of life, you've been like, man, I don't know where God is at in this situation. I don't really see how he's working in my life. I don't know what God's up to. And we all feel that way, where, where we don't really, we're not really aware what's going on inside of us. We're not really aware of what God's up to. And so we're dealing with an issue of self-awareness and God-awareness. And what I mean by that, self-awareness is uh, being able to understand what's going on underneath the surface, right? Uh, you're more than just what you do in the day. There's, you're, you're so complex. <laughs> like there's so much going on inside of you that most people uh, will never know what's going on inside of you. And sometimes we just live at such a fast pace, we don't even know what's going on inside of us. But to become self-aware means you're able to identify those internal feelings you're able to identify your weaknesses. You're able to identify the limits of where you're like, yep, that's too much for me. You're able to identify like how things from the past affect your present because they do. Sometimes you'll react away in the present because something from the past is informing it and you're like, why did I just like flip out on the barista at Starbucks? <laughs> it's like something from the past like triggered it. Um, it's being able to um, handle uh, what people might say about you, right? You, you're able to accept that and hear that um, responsibly and, and to uh, differentiate that what people might think about you or how they might perceive you is different than who you are. You don't have to always explain and justify and fix and correct and battle. And even as you interact with others, you're able to kind of set your own feelings aside, your own agenda aside, and just hear someone for who they are. It's so difficult. Like it takes so much self-awareness to have a conversation with someone and not be thinking about what you're gonna say next and what's gonna happen later in the day and how what they said is like crazy and you don't buy it and like you're having this own internal monologue in your head. To be able just to set that aside for a minute and actually engage someone. And so that's what self-awareness is and, and we can struggle with that um, in, in, this, in, in this like issue of drawing near to the Lord. We can also struggle with 
a God awareness. And what I mean by a God awareness is that you're able to understand who God is apart from what you do or don't do for God. So what I mean by that is like that sometimes we think that we have to do things to get God to be present in our lives. We, we engage in spiritual activity, we go to church, we serve, we uh, read our Bible, we maybe say a prayer. Like we do all these spiritual activities because we think it'll get God to do something for us. But when you're God aware, you're able to separate the fact that um, what I do for him or don't do for him, oh, I messed up, oh, I, I, I screwed up on this this week, oh, I've, I failed here or I've, I've let him down here. You're able to separate what you're doing from who God is. And you're able to receive from him. You're able just to, to hear from him and, and receive him on his terms. And yes, we still respond to God. We, we serve him, we obey him, but we do that out of a place of having received from him, not trying to earn from God. And so um, you, you know that you're lacking God awareness when the things that you know to be true about God, oh, God gives us joy, God gives us peace, God's so loving. You talk about those things, but you never experience them in your own life. And that's where you know that you've begun to lose uh, God awareness because it's, it's not been real in your own life. And so these are all like really challenging things to, to live in. And these uh, things end up falling to the margins of life. Like when you have work to do for the day, you've got like to take the dog out, you gotta like drop the kids off at school, you've gotta like go to the dentist, you've got like this financial thing that blew up, you've gotta like go shopping and get the Thanksgiving dinner, you know, ready. You've got all these things. What happens is yourself and God are the things that push to the margins. You start to tune out what's going on underneath the surface and tune out where God's actually at in your life, and that's where we get here. But it's so important that we come back to those places. We, we begin to learn how to move into that space. It was an early um, church-like leader who said, how can you draw close to God when you are so far from your own self? And he prayed this. He said, grant me, Lord, that I may know myself, that I may know thee. These two things knowing self, knowing what's going on beneath the surface, and knowing God, who he really is, apart from just what you do for him, are extremely important. And I think when we lack these awarenesses, it can create a lot of anxiety in life. We don't know where to place ourselves in life. We don't know where to place God in life. And actually, uh, I know this from personal experience. About a year and a half ago, um, Sarah and I, we wouldn't have had all the language for this, but we would have felt all that. We would have felt like something's off, something's not right. We could feel it in our body language, we could feel it in our emotions, uh, but we, we had no idea what was going on. And we were having a really hard time identifying like what God was up to in our lives. And so um, thankfully, even though we had no idea what to do, we included people. And so some of the closest people in our life were our life group. And so we talked with them. We were actually leading our life group at the time. And kind of after a summer of prayer and, and talking that through with others, uh, we decided to, to transition the group to someone else's leadership. And so uh, we, we took a few months to do that. And I was super grateful that God like, kept a lot of those relationships going, even though we weren't really in a place to lead in that season. And um, we talked with you know, 
the staff members at Grace that were important to talk to and other friends and family. And then the, the other thing we did that was new for us was we emailed a local biblical counselor and we're just like, help. Um, <laughs> we don't know what's going on and maybe you can tell us what's going on. And I remember showing up for that first meeting and uh, she was like, yeah, God's clearly doing something in your life. Maybe he's preparing you for something. He's trying to get your attention about something. Um, she's like, but I don't know what it is. And I was like, well, darn it. <laughs> this was like, I guess I'm not coming back. She's like, but, but even though I can't tell you what it is, there's an important work we have to do to begin to discern God's presence in your life. And I was like, that would be great. <laughs> Help me. And so I remember uh, the next time we showed up at her office, we would uh, often, in times, we would do guided prayer. And so uh, we would pray together, usually just one of us. So like me and Sarah were both there. She would put her hand on me, and then the counselor would kind of guide us through some prayer prompts. And I remember that first time, uh, she asked me to, to uh, think of a, a place kind of in my life where I experienced fear um, or pain or confusion, and uh, I was dialing into something and to kind of like visualize it and start to kind of fill in the, the situation, the scenario, adding people and like what's going on there. And, and um, you know, very interesting. And then I remember as I started to kind of like paint the whole picture of this place of confusion and frustration, she asked me this question. She said, okay, where's Jesus? And I was like, oh, no. And I'm like in my brain, like trying to find him. And I'm like, oh, no, I don't like know where Jesus is. I didn't like plan for that. I didn't put him anywhere. And so after an awkward amount of time, I was like, I don't know. And hoping we could just like move on. And she didn't move on. <laughs> She's like patient with me and just asked the Lord to uh, show where he might be in that situation. This was obviously new for me. And we, we didn't move on from it. And my wife was even praying for me at that time. You know, like, it, it was a moment of prayer. And eventually, after a while, I began to identify um, where he was and to begin to try to discern what he was up to in that moment of confusion and frustration. And once we were done praying, <laughs> I remember I was like, well, that wasn't good. And she was like, yeah, you kind of had a hard time, like, knowing where Jesus is at in your life. And I was like, yeah, um, I think that translates into like my everyday life. Like I don't think I'm just having a hard time because like this is some new counseling technique. I think this is the root issue. I, I don't see Jesus often in my life. I don't think about where he's at. I, I think it's me against the world. I actually have bought into a lie that God isn't near and it's up to me. And so I remember walking away from those first counseling sessions thinking, this is so important, and it has to translate uh, into something that I can do more frequently because I, I want to know where Jesus is at in, his, in my life. I want to get better at becoming uh, aware of what's going on inside of me and also what God is up to. And so this is what I wanted to share with you guys is uh, to introduce you to that practice that um, I feel like was so pivotal um, for me, because even though there were so many things that I couldn't control in life, right? There's so many things I couldn't figure out. I, I maybe couldn't even identify myself. What I could do was keep entering into that space where it was just me and God, where I, where it, I would interact with, you know, where is Jesus? What's going on inside of me? I could create the conditions to have that 
space and that conversation. I could move myself near to God. And so this was the practice that, I guess if I could summarize it, what I was trying to implement in my life. And it's just called silence and solitude. <laughs> um, I didn't come up with this. This is like uh, a practice that uh, many people have, um, especially in the church, like other Christ followers have implemented in their life. Um, it, and it doesn't mean you have to be a monk. Like that's like extreme silence and solitude. Um, but you can uh, bring this practice into parts of your life. There's no way I could possibly live a, a totally silent and, uh, life of solitude with three kids and a job and uh, a commute and all sorts of things, right? Um, but there's a practice here that was important for me to begin drawing near to God, and I had to learn it. I had to learn how to be quiet. I had to learn how to be still and how to be alone with God, and it's taken a lot of time, and it... And it, it um, shows itself in many different forms in my life. But what I want to do for you is I want to explain what I mean by this so that way you can see why I think it's so helpful to draw us near to God and that maybe if this is new for you or, or you want to know how to do it, you can begin to figure out how to actually carve that out and how does it draw me close to God. And so what I mean by uh, silence is the elimination of noise, <laughs> right? Like both externally and internally. So external noise is like easy to explain. It's like, uh, all the things that are loud. It's like background noise, notifications. It's like having the TV on or the music playing. It's like people interrupting you, right? I have a two-year-old, a four-year-old, and a seven-year-old, so like we get interrupted all the time, right? Um, <laughs> and you may get phone calls and texts, or you, your Slack channel at work, and there's emails, and there's demands, and there's all these things. Like, I never knew this, that your phone, it has an off button, did you know that? It's right here on the side. And so it's crazy. Like you can actually just turn everything off and be in silence. And that's all this means externally, right? And, and I don't know when you think about that, like where could I possibly do that? For me with small kids, you know, I, I work. There's all sorts of interruptions and notifications and things. Usually for me, that's really early in the morning. Um, just before the kids wake up, before I open up email before I start to plan out my day. Um, that usually is one of the best places for me to be silent um, because so much of my day is filled with noise. <laughs> Even if I'm like driving in the car or you know, mowing the lawn, like something's always coming into my ears. Um, but what I wonder is if that, because we're so familiar with external noise, is it covering up more that's going on inside of us. That internal noise. Because you are complex. There's a lot going on inside of you, even if you don't know what it is. And that internal noise is a lot harder to silence because it's all the chatter in your head. It's all of the like background commentary, right? If the external noise is my four-year-old asking me every five minutes for a snack, the, the internal noise is my inner four-year-old always like, you know, just saying out loud what I'm thinking about life. It's me replaying the last conversation I had or a conversation I had a year ago or something I said on stage. It's me uh, dreaming and fantasizing and thinking, man, my life would be better if, and I wonder if this situation plays out. It's um, what I'm doing when I play through the what-ifs of my life and I play out the different scenarios, it's just all the, the background talk that goes on in my head, and that can be extremely difficult to silence. It's where all my worries and stress and anxieties exist. 
I can't turn that off. So I have to learn how to not just shut out the external noise at times, but also how to get to a place where internally I'm able to rest, to silence that inner four-year-old almost. The other uh, part of this is the solitude piece, and solitude is just being alone, where it's just you and your own soul. And again, what what I mean about that by your soul is that part of you that is most deep and true about you, the part that's underneath the surface that maybe no one else understands or you have a hard time fully unpacking, but it's everything going on underneath what you just do on the surface of your life. And in solitude, all of the illusions we've created about ourselves, who I want people to see me as, how I view my life, all of that starts to fade away. It's where I start to find clarity. It's where in little chunks and pieces, I begin to learn more about what goes on underneath the surface of my life. I maybe get more in touch with my fears or what I really long for in life. It's where I stop believing my own press, right? (laughs) I kind of like drop all the facade and it's just me and God. There's nothing else to influence that. The, the, The God and the self that pushes itself to the margins and is on the back burner most of my day that is all that's left. Because I'm not working. I'm not parenting for 10 minutes. (laughs) I'm not having to do. It's just me and God. So solitude is different than being isolated. Being isolated is running away. Solitude is engaging God and what's going on within you. Isolation is, is scary, it's dangerous, But solitude, when it's understood and it's practiced, is this place that becomes safe. It's interesting, uh, often as I was trying to understand what this was like, I kept reading about the the illustration of a a jar of water with dirt in it. And when all the dirt is settled, you you can see through it, like I can see my hand through it right now. Um, Even though you can see there's, there's dirt, right? It's like not clean water. There's all this stuff in there. And solitude is like this. where everything settles just for a little bit that you can start to see again. (laughs) You can start to discern and hear God again. Things have become quiet enough that you finally are able to admit or understand the deep thing underneath the surface. And then, you know, seven o'clock happens and the first kid wakes up out of bed or you start getting work emails and like life starts to jostle you a little bit. And you're like, oh my goodness, like what's going on in life and I've got to get through the day and like it's going and going and going and then you get more notifications and you're like, oh, I've got to like find lunch for the day and like it just becomes cloudy. The, the noise enters in externally and internally. I'm, I'm not, it's not just me and God. Now there's all these things in life I have to deal with, the finances, the kids, the roommates, the work situation. And nothing really feels clear. And so silence and solitude become this incredible invitation to stop. And there's no silver bullet to it. It's not a magic formula. It's just the reality that you are like that jar. And life shakes you up. And that's why you can't identify what's going on inside of you. That's why you can't identify where God is at in your life is because it's completely muddy and confusing. And you have to settle down. 
You have to actually physically and emotionally put yourself in spaces of it just being you and God. And this was extremely difficult for me. It was a, a totally new idea um, for me to begin to practice, and it's difficult. Here was someone who, as they practiced silence and solitude, they kind of said how they felt when they didn't do this and how they felt when they did. They said, when I don't uh, engage in silence and solitude, I feel distant from God and end up living off somebody else's spirituality. I feel distant from myself. I lose sight of my identity and my callings. I don't really know who I am. I feel an undercurrent of anxiety that rarely, if ever, goes away. I feel exhausted, and I live in a perpetual cycle of low-grade energy. I need stimulants to function in life, and I have escapes and distractions so that I can forget about life. I become easy prey to the tempter. I become emotionally unhealthy, and I live surfacy. But when, he said, when I do practice silence and solitude, I find my quiet places where I can pay attention to God and my own soul. I take my time and slow down and come back to the present. I start to feel again. The good, the bad, and the ugly, I'm not numb anymore. And I can even identify God's presence and his absence and know when that's happening. I can start to identify my fears, my motivations, my addictions, my deep desires. I can hear God's voice through all the other voices which start to fade away. I can hear God speak his love over me and speak my identity and calling into being. I can get God's perspective on life and my humble and good place in life. I come to a place of freedom, free from failure, success, shame, and other people's opinions. And so this is um, when I talk about how do we get peace in the midst of anxiety. If we do not understand or practice being near to God, <laughs> if we don't actually draw ourselves near to God, we're not gonna deal with one of the biggest root causes of what causes so much anxiety in our life. Now this is actually something our culture has identified. Like I don't know if you've heard of the market on mindfulness but like mindfulness is basically all that practice of self-awareness just without the God awareness. And that's not bad, it's just not complete. And you should know that like this is what uh, the church, uh, just followers of Jesus have been doing for thousands of years. They understand the need to place themselves in spaces of silence and solitude to be attuned to what's going on inside of them and what God is doing. Actually, we even see that this is what Jesus did. It says in Luke 5 and in several other places too that Jesus would often withdraw to lonely places, to quiet places, and he would pray. He would be in silence and solitude because Jesus had a pretty hectic life. <laughs> a lot of people wanted his attention. He had a pretty busy schedule. And so if Jesus modeled silence and solitude, if he lived his life by that, I think we should absolutely uh, tune in to the reality that we will need this. We're gonna need this. If Jesus did, we definitely should. And again, it's not um, a silver bullet. It's not like if you do this, then God will do that. It's just the reality that even Jesus experienced that sometimes 
You have to enter in that space and draw near to God to actually have clarity about what's going on inside of you and what God is doing. Now, the other part of this that I wanted to talk about at the end is how God's nearness affects how we pray because this is obviously what Jesus would do in, in silence and solitude. It wasn't, it wasn't just uh, empty-minded meditations. There was this sense of wanting to interact with God. And um, that's even what we see in what we were reading in Philippians, right? It said, don't be anxious about any, uh, anything, but pray about everything. And so prayer becomes this vehicle, as I understand God's nearness, to help me begin to experience that peace, that surpasses all understanding, to have a peace that guards my heart and mind in Christ that can't be compromised. And so um, I think that what's so hard about this, though, is um, sometimes drawing near to God or praying to God can actually makes, make us more anxious. Let me explain what I mean. Um, I feel like in these seasons where I've kind of like stop being self-aware, like I have no idea what's going on inside of me. I don't really know where God's at. What I start to find is that I get more stressed out about trying to draw near to God than I do just about trying to figure like, out life on my own terms. There's so much I have to keep up with. There's so much trust I have in myself and so little trust I have in God that um, to back away from the things that have defined me, to back away from the things that I feel like I need to control, to stop having the internal conversation in my head and even the conversation with others and talk with God, I can become more anxious about being in silence and solitude, about talking with him, than just the anxiety that comes from not doing it. Because maybe I'm afraid I don't know how to do it. Maybe I, maybe I think God won't show up. Maybe I don't trust him. Maybe it's just become unfamiliar. And I don't, I don't really know what God's like. I, I, I can't even imagine, you know, when if that counselor asked you, where's Jesus in your room? And you're like, I don't even know what Jesus looks like or what he would say to me or how, like what his demeanor would be like. Would it be fun to be around? Would he, would he be mad at me? Like what, what is Jesus like? And so if you're not familiar with who Jesus is, it can become more stressful <laughs> to try to figure out how to engage him than just to try to work your way through all the anxieties in life. And so I think that's why we don't pray. I think that's why we don't go into silence and solitude. And maybe it's because we don't know how, but I don't think these are huge hurdles to jump through. I think we, we've covered like what we're talking about and how to enter into that. And as um, I was navigating this, I was there. I felt like I didn't know how to talk to God. I, I didn't know how to see him in the room. I felt like there was so much going on inside of me, I didn't know how to like explain it all to God. I didn't know how to explain it all to my counselor. I didn't know how to explain it all to my friends. And sometimes me and Sarah, we didn't know how to explain it all to each other. And so much of this anxiety was going on that it would frustrate me to the point where it's like I didn't want to bother with God. I, I was frustrated. And as I was still trying to practice this, even though it was uncomfortable and at times I didn't think anything was gonna materialize from it, there was one day where I was reading in, in this little book and um, I came across a prayer, just a, a prayer someone else had written and it spoke so much to that feeling of I'm afraid to talk to God. 
I don't even know where to start. I feel completely helpless. I don't know what's going on inside of me. I don't know where you're at, God. And this is what the prayer said. It said, Holy One, there is something I wanted to tell you, but there have been errands to run and bills to pay and arrangements to make and meetings to attend and friends to entertain and washing to do. There's something I wanted to tell you. And I forget what it is. I forget what it is I wanted to say to you. And mostly I forget what I'm about or why. Oh God, don't forget me please for the sake of Jesus Christ. And I felt so vulnerable reading that prayer because I know that there is so much going on inside of me at times that I just don't want to involve God with. And sometimes I get to the point where I desperately want to involve God. And I don't even know where to start anymore. And in that day when I was reading it, I remember just like all the guilt I felt. I'm like, God, I don't, there's so much I haven't even included you in, God. I don't even, I don't even know where to start. I don't know what to tell you. I don't know how to like make you understand. I don't know like, you know, where to begin. I don't know how to sift through all this. And so when I read that, I felt the guilt, but then I began to read it not in tones of shame. I began to read it in tones of freedom because the Lord is near. And what I mean by that is the reality that the Lord is near changes how I interact with God when I've forgotten how to interact with him, when I've forgotten who I am. Please don't forget me, God. God doesn't forget you because he is always near. I wrote it down this way, that because God is near, you can pray exactly where you're at. You can pray exactly where you're at, not where you want to be, um, not where you think you have to go so that God can finally get it. I don't know if you've ever, you know, you've probably had friends that you haven't talked with for a long time, right? And you finally like meet up again and there's so much of life to, to catch up on. Oh, what's been going on with the kids? Or what's been going on with your job? And oh, you moved and oh, you got a dog now and blah, blah, blah. And it takes like hours, right? To catch up with them about life. Or you meet someone new and there's just all this stuff to explore because they haven't been a part of your life. But because God is near and we know that he's always present, do you understand that when you have forgotten him and you don't know where to start or where to begin and you're like, how could he possibly understand this? How could I explain it to God so that he could begin to understand what's going on in my world? He already gets it all. Like when you don't know how to put it into words what's going on in your heart because you don't even know what's going on, he gets it. He understands you. So like you don't have to be anxious about catching God up and explaining everything and here's how he gets it and here's how I can justify it to him and you gotta like help him know. You can just pray where you're at. And I remember going on a walk after I read this and just feeling free that I didn't have to catch God up on the past three months of whatever I didn't talk to him about. I could just start there. And it's peace. There's peace when you pray where you're at. Because it's not about you becoming the most self-aware human being in the world. It's not even about you becoming the most God-aware human being in the world. 
It's just about you settling and realizing that you can just talk to God then. You don't have to have your life all together so that you can somehow explain it to God so that he might work in your life. He wants to meet you in the mess because the Lord is always near and he can handle it and he understands it and he wants to meet you in that space. That is the space he is most glad to meet you and this is why Jesus Christ came to meet you. He didn't come to be in your life because it was all cleaned up and you were so self-aware and you were such a spiritual person. He came because you couldn't figure it out because you weren't drawing near to God. He understands, it says in Hebrews 4, that he is our high priest. He intercedes for us. He is the bridge between us and God. This is who Jesus is and it says he's not just a high priest who's better than us. He's a high priest who understands our weaknesses. And so because we have this person who wants to intercede for us and who is with us, we can draw back to God. We can have confidence as we approach the throne of God, as it says, and we can find mercy in our time of need because Jesus Christ died for you and came back to life so that he could be an active intercessor in your life so that you could experience God's nearness. Isn't that amazing? And so when all the anxiety about how do I draw near to God surfaces, we let Jesus walk us into that space because he is gentle, because he is the one who guards our hearts and minds, because he is the one who makes the exchange of our value and of our peace. And it's this beautiful opportunity to in our messiest moments where we don't understand what's going on in life, to accept the invitation to draw near to God. But we have to see it as good. In Psalm 73, it says, it's good for me to be near to God. I've made the Lord my shelter. He's my refuge. But if I don't see God's nearness as good, I won't fight for the silence. I won't fight for the solitude. I won't pray where I'm at. I'll always think about the things I should be praying about. And I'll view prayer as a means to get from God what I think I need rather than just being with him. This is extremely difficult. I, I want you to hear that. I didn't master this. I'm like barely inching my way along. <laughs> it's challenging, but it's good. It's good to be near to God. It's good to be uncomfortable. It's good to start to unpack the the small pieces of your giant complex soul that God wants to reveal that he's active in. It's good to be near God. And once we see that goodness, we will make that move. We'll move toward him and we'll be willing to make the space for him. Kind of just to end our time, what I wanted to do was I, I wanted to invite you back to talk with God. And so if you want to do this, if you wouldn't mind, just take a minute now, I'm gonna invite the band out, and to just settle down. <laughs> Close your eyes, if you don't mind, and try to let everything settle for a minute. You haven't gone back into life yet, you're here. It's just you and God. And I wanna ask you something. Is there anything you want to say to God? Is
is there anything you want to say to God? Is there a deep part of you you've wanted to share or a question you've wanted to ask? Is there, is there something you've wanted to say to God? And if you're willing, would you share that with him? safe, you can trust him with it. And if you're willing to just do one more thing, would you ask God, is there anything you want to say to me? You ask God, is there anything you want to say to me? Father, we're grateful to know that you are always present, even when we're not aware. But we want to draw near to you, especially in times of need. And when life is too loud, chaotic and confusing. We don't want to be afraid to ask what we actually need from you, Lord. We want to be able to pray where we're at even if we've forgotten a lot of what's going on in life and what's going on inside of us and who you are. So would you meet us in that space? If you really do promise peace that surpasses what we can understand, that guards us, would you please show up and give it to us? Exchange that worry. We're thankful that you've given us Jesus and we wanna see him for who he really is. So help us, God, to see where you're at you're here now. You're, you're with us. You're going to walk out this door with us. You are ever present. And so help us to know you and to be close to you. In Jesus' name.